Hello everyone, it's Friday the 6th of May and welcome to episode 104 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Now the Dairy Industry News Conference is on at the moment, having had its first full day yesterday. And both John and Chris, as well as today's guest, are in attendance there. Um, Indeed, John is actually in the conference chair today. Uh, Today on the podcast, we'll hear from them about the various goings on at the conference and we'll also speak to our guest about the dairy perspective from his part of the world currently. But who, I hear you ask, is our guest today? Well, he's had quite a journey coming all the way from Australia, uh, but he has been on the podcast before. Steve Spencer, Director of Fresh Agenda, is once again on the show. Uh, We're also joined by Kite's Managing Partner, John Allen, our podcast producer and senior kite consultant, Becky Leach, and as always, by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Auckland. Chris, how was your night last night? Let's go over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, I'm actually in the hotel in London, but when I got up this morning, it felt as if I was on a ship in the Atlantic in a big storm, (laughs) the way the floor was rolling around. But yes, I'm at the Dairy Industry Newsletter Conference. Um, Normally, the DIN conference is full of very clever and knowledgeable, important people from all Mm. over the world, plus John and me. (laughs) Normally, the only way we get in is in disguise. John pretends to be hoovering the floor before hiding (laughs) under a desk. And I put on a frock and a wig and a big badge that says I work for the Rural Payments Agency. (laughs) And that way, nobody comes near. <laughs> now, this year, though, John is being very important because he's chairing this morning's session. But I have to say, I've got some very bad news for everybody. Unfortunately, there is the first farm gate price cut looming, the first for months. And I calculate the drop is going to be around 0. 0.000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
uh, butter 12% down, powder 6.5%, cheddar 8 to 9% down. Um, so what effect has this had on the European markets? Well, buyers are obviously sensing blood uh, and the pressure is definitely on SMP. But my initial reaction is things could actually be a lot worse. Um, the average skim milk powder price is supposedly still over €4,000. I think traders are saying the price is nearer 3800 now and some buyers have their sights on three and a half thousand euros for quarter three. But it's not there yet. And when I looked at the futures uh, on uh, Thursday, they weren't that bad. You know, they were still relatively OK. Um, they had dropped below three thousand eight hundred, but nowhere near the sorts of prices that the buyers are, uh, are looking for. And I think butter could be a lot worse, too. Uh, traders are saying that's still in the very high uh, 6,000 to 7,000 euros, um, 5,900 sterling in the UK. So I think things could be a lot worse. Um, and again, the futures are no disaster there. Uh, butter and skim powder. I've still got high 40 pence farm gate milk price on the board. Uh, cream here hasn't really moved, 255 to 260. Uh, cheese is still very firm here, but there's a bit more weakening in uh, Europe, I see, on the likes of um, mozzarella. Uh, spot milk is 38 to 42, so again, uh, similar to last week. So I'll probably leave it there. Um, our guest, Mr. Steve, all the way from Down Under, uh, may like to comment. We're extremely lucky to have him, I think, because normally at this time of the morning and being an Australian, he'd normally be surfing or having a barbecue. But still, he's on our podcast. How lucky we are. So I don't know if you think there's anything I've missed, Steve, or anything you'd like to add, but chip in if uh, if you do. Um, and before we start the conversation and before you do that, I just see that your milk production figures are in for March, down 5%. So, yeah, you might like to comment on that. So over to you. I'll start there. Um, <clears throat> that trend's been, the trend in our milk production's been, um, been happening for quite a while. And it's, uh, we get a lot of questions when we start talking about Australian milk production and, you know, milk prices being so high and aren't your seasonal conditions fanned? And 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 um, I think it's just a fact that uh, when values for all parts of agriculture are pretty good, and you've got land values at double-digit growth down there, it just gives a great incentive for a lot of farmers to exit. Right? It's it's getting out at the top. Um, just like everywhere, there's no staff. There's no you know there's high input costs, um, and I think traditional farming. They see the input costs rising. They see high fertilizers, high grain prices, and grain prices have shot up. And this is the part of the year when that matters because you're in supplementary feeding zone. Um, they they just pull back. Um, they've already cut their herds earlier in the season, and despite what the map says about soil moisture, etc., um, yeah, we're still in decline. Um, so. It's in the southern states, which are which are the worst. I mean, Tasmania is having an absolute shocking season, while the mainland is good. So that's, um, yeah, we don't see that ending anytime soon, Chris. So we're uh, continuing to shrink. Um, 
just a comment on GDT. I think the GDT result was was a lot better. I mean, China actually bought more tonnage than the previous event. They stepped up their percentage. It just the way GDT works, it's it's based on starting demand. And so there's a you know, transient buyers sit there and wait to get bidding. They nominate how much they've got to to buy, and the mechanism starts working. Right, and it just never started at a escalated level. So it never got near um, getting back to where it started the previous event. So it's, you know, where is where is it weakest? Um, I'd like to get the GDT data that shows how many buyers from each region and how much they put up. They don't publish that too often. But, um, yeah, it's, look, I think it's a continuing worry, but it's made things cheaper. Um, and while we're talking about affordability in some of those markets, it's actually going to help a little bit to, to say, well, things have come off a bit. It's just when buyers might move on that and say, is this the is this the bottom? Are we going to slide further? And I think the next few events will be pretty interesting, but they always are. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, Chris, as well. John, the DIN conference started yesterday afternoon. And as we've established, discussions obviously went long into the night following dinner. But before we talk about yesterday, can you give us some background to the conference itself and uh, who's attending this year? Hey, well, first of all, welcome, Steve. It's uh, great to have you on. And you did a great session yesterday. Uh, really balanced and uh, I was reading all reports with interest so it's great to have you on and I in terms of the conference uh, this is really a legacy of uh, dear Barry Wilson so he started DIN a long long time ago but he started this annual conference uh, that's been running now for ooh, probably nearly 20 years and uh, you get the great and the good from around the world uh, and actually this year Catherine uh, Pace who's uh, taken on the business from him uh, bravely actually uh, decided to continue with the conference after he passed away at Christmas. And actually, we've got a really good turnout. There's about 80. Uh, and I think actually, bearing in mind the quality of the discussion yesterday, and if the quality of the papers is anything like yesterday today, I think there'll be more people here next year because they can see that there's, uh, it's well worthwhile making all that time and trouble and effort to come and actually see uh, things and talk to others and actually be in person again. And I don't know how you found it, Steve, but so it's a big investment of your time to come over here. And I think you did you come by the US? Did I hear? Yeah. 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 So you've made a real worldwide trip, haven't you? I mean, how did you find it? Look, the first time at this event, um, well, we go to these things to, uh, we've strung a few things together. We're going to Chicago. We've been to Chicago. We're doing this and we go on to Berlin in two weeks for uh, Ukulele. Um, so uh, I think as a UK event, I've always regarded this as being a, a peak gathering. You know, you get you get, um, you get get a very good audience. You get good participation. And the um, I think the, um, the quality of discussion uh, in the papers and around, you know, the yeah, talking in the gaps, and that's always the benchmark of you know people interested and standing at the front and, and look, looking at the other presentations. Uh, everyone's pretty engaged, so I think everyone looking at a gathering again, getting together, uh, it's just good to get face to face. You know, all those things that Zoom doesn't capture in, in meetings. Uh, it's good to be back. <laughs> oh, it was definitely, yeah. yeah. John, we've seen the the fourth consecutive fall in the GDT auction this week. Um, I presume that's been featuring a lot in discussions there so far. Yeah, and actually I want to bring Steve in again because uh, I I think, to be frank, we anticipated this. uh, So it was no real surprise, perhaps the scale of it, as Chris has intimated. But actually, um, it's the situation in China 
that is a major major problem in the markets at present. And I think you, you've still got the fundamentals in the markets being that actually we just don't carry stocks around the world. Uh, demand is still holding up relatively well, but we want to talk about that because we might be touching the top now in terms of pricing, in terms of demand, especially in the poorer parts of the world. But actually the supply side is really finely balanced and the supply side as Steve's just been saying about Australia just doesn't really seem to be growing and the the scary paper yesterday was uh, milkweed the guy uh, Steve Harmon Harbin that's it yeah from the US Pete Harbin that's it yeah gosh I was sitting there I was it was scary wasn't it Steve in terms of the drought effects in uh, in the US I I I just I can you comment? I mean, that to yeah, me sure. was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, and, and this is something that um, I, I think it's quite because when you see commentary in the US, this is not talked about very much. Uh, the drought and and really the water shortages in the West, mm. um, they've had less snowfall, they've had, you know, they've already got high feed costs because crops are affected globally and the US has got this drought just getting worse and worse. Um, the water restrictions in regions, you know, such as California, um, are such that farmers uh, are quitting because they simply can't get water. Um, and it's really on the down low, right? There's not much reporting. We pick it up in sort of regional newspapers or uh, industry commentary that, um, yeah, I think this is a big, this is a creeping thing. The US is pretty interestingly balanced, though, because yeah. demand's going to soften and their milk stays sluggish. And they, you know, it's only, it's only growing in a couple of states, really, in terms of cow numbers. So they're a bit fragile. They could tip easily tip into a, a you know a, a worse um, a worse decline from here on this year yeah Steve um, you were the first speaker at the conference yesterday um, yeah. what's been your experience of it all so far look I think it's a good I, I've uh, been at several different events with different sizes of audiences I like this sort of this feels intimate you know like you can actually see the back of the room and you can yeah. you know people sitting around talking and it's uh, it's a really good size, and it's an event where everyone turns up at the sessions and 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 listens and participates. So, um, no, I think it's a good it's a good size. You got you got good caliber people there, so that's the other thing that matters. So I think that's you know you got good discussion out of that, and you get really good questions. Um, I think the content's quite uh, quite well put together. I mean, I, Catherine asked me to do this three years ago, so we've been sort of kicking it forward down the road as as you know we've gone through COVID, but. Um, yeah, I, it's. Um, I think it's a nice event, and I think it's a really good forum for discussion. Sure. And what have been? I mean, we, we've we've touched on some of them already, but what have been the key themes and, and discussions that have taken place there so far? I, look, I, I mean, I did a I did a wrap up of world uh, short term and long term, and what what some of the you know biggest issues are driving change. So we we can park that. But we've heard from um, we heard from uh, the. the European boss of Fonterra talking about where where that group's going and, and yeah. look it's mostly about group strategy and what's changed in the Fonterra world and and how they're looking at them themselves now and that's that's quite a change which is I'm not sure a lot of people really understand what what that does because they've they've really pulled back and they're focusing on the you know they stuffed up quite a bit of stuff in the last few years and they've you know had some uh, out of New Zealand some poor results that don't count for dividend very much so they've got to get on with performance um uh i thought the the industry sorry the uh, the european commission um project was um uh, very delicately poised as she went through some some hard issues and the 
she described their approach to it, which is, you know, high level, cautious, the way they describe that stuff. And when you come onto sensitive matters, it's either I really can't comment on that or it's, you know, some sort of softly, softly, which which I think was amusing. There was a comment in one of her um, one of her slides about the really delicate issue of passing price, you know, cost increases through to retail, through to consumers. Because we're all seeing this this punch coming for consumers when inflation arrives and high prices, which aren't there yet, they've got a long way to come. Um, and the commission's response is, we'll, we'll ask retailers to go easy. And we all watching that, everyone looked around the room and went, what? No, it's just this, <laughs> well, how will In, that She <laughs> invited retailers to be yeah. uh, lenient was her, lenient. wasn't yeah. the word, but was her sentiment. So yeah. it was an invitation. Retailers, of course, famous for being lenient. <laughs> I I thought the other bit there, Steve, was quite interesting in terms of when she got quizzed about uh, how can you make farmers do all these things, and then she said, "Oh well, we'll do it by subsidies." And then she actually said, "Well, what, what do you do? You really mean what's what are farmers going to do in terms of will they actually stay in the industry?" and Actually, what you really started to realise is that the Commission is starting to think, oh, perhaps we've been telling all these farmers for so long that they're not wanted, that now they're giving up. And then they're starting to think, oh, so how do we handle that? Yeah. Because, because it, you know, you, you can only tell farmers for so long that they're not wanted. And in the end, they start believing it and they don't invest and they don't have any confidence. Yeah. And what a surprise that Europe's in contraction now in terms of dairy. Yeah. Um, that's right. I'll, look, I think the, the the slowing in supply or the the grind in supply is is a challenge everywhere, and it and it seems like um, that's still you know that's still the over, overwhelming uh, theme here. That talking about supply side a lot, but then there was a bit more of a focus on the consumer side, and that's where you know the data is not very good, and the you know the expectation is that there's you know we could be in recession or we could see a real slowdown in spending. So that's a that's a looming problem. So it was a fair bit of discussion about that. Um, I thought the um, there was a really good, uh, very frank and and dire description of the Brexit situation from um, oh gosh, Andrew. Which um, I mean, I heard Andrew talk about this three years ago. Um, nothing's changed. It's just got worse. And for me, coming into this and you know seeing things from afar, but. I have had a reasonable sense of it, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, in touch with what Chris is commenting on this as, as time goes past. But that's just staggering, absolutely staggering. Um, really, you, you know, so an industry that's that's willing to willing to grow. The industry is quite keen to, you know, get out there in the world, and just being held back so much. It's uh, shocking. You just can't make it up. I mean, I, I thought I, I'd missed it, but basically, the situation now is that um, Jacob Rees-Mogg and the government has said that we're not having any import checks because we want to save UK consumers a billion pounds um, in the extra cost that would be incurred if we have these border checks. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, they're going to chuck or threatening to chuck the Northern Ireland Protocol out of the window, which could invoke a trade war with Europe, which would invoke costs far greater than one billion pounds 
you know, that's basically where we are. And I was just looking on the news now to see what's happening in the Northern Ireland elections, which will be crucial with the protocol if Sinn Féin get in and get the first minister. Um, but at the moment, there's no news on that front. So it's a very fast moving, pretty grim situation. We could be, we could have a trade war with Europe as well as a real war in Europe. There's some good news to come on this podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Mind you, I, 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 do, I did wonder which way Andrew voted. <laughs> do you wonder? John, John he, has he, he, was, he was a primary moaner. I mean, he, he, he certainly uh, painted a very dire picture of the Brexit scenario. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Chris, was there anything that you were expecting to be discussed there that that hasn't featured so far? Well, I th- I think what st- what struck me is that there seems to be a global resignation that milk volumes are going to drop, and with with no conversation at all about is it possible to arrest the decline? Where are the areas that could potentially grow volumes? I, I don't remember hearing anything on, on that front. Did you, Steve? There were a couple of questions about, about, um, about that, and I think we, you know, we found, um, we didn't find many answers, but no, there wasn't much discussion. It wasn't much you know, identification of where we're going to see some, uh, some potential recovery. Um, a bit of growth in Eastern Europe, maybe. And, yeah. But that was it. You know, there, is, there is this resignation that, it, that volumes are going to fall everywhere and there's not a lot that anybody can do about it well yeah but i'll come in because the the bit i i thought as well so supply side struggling should mean continuous high prices on dairy which is feasible but my concern in listening to the papers especially the one about the us is about the price of food and the price of feed so i can see that dairy farmers when you put it take it home back to the uk are still facing risks on their input side and i think they need to start to manage those risks that's what i took out of of today yesterday because if you're not as a dairy farmer at home you can probably budget on a reasonable milk price a good milk price but you do need to manage your risk on your inputs that's what i took out of it is that your phone, mister? <laughs> <laughs> Always the professional. Oh, dear me. Um, okay. John, you, you're, uh, you're chairing today, as we mentioned earlier. So what, what, what are we all looking forward to on the agenda on the second day? Chris, oh, uh, Steve, well, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to? Well, I'm going to shut up for a start. Because uh, when you've got the calibre of speakers we've got, like Ash and Eric, who you've had on and others, then we, we just want to hear from the speakers. And uh, I know there's going to be an outlook on 2030, which will be uh, taking some of these themes forward in terms of how the world could be being constrained on the supply side, which is going to ultimately lift dairy prices. Because once we get past this crisis with feed costs, then these fundamentals that Steve's talking about, the environmental limits we talked about and all the rest of it, they are probably going to put more more money into uh, the milk price uh, at the end of the day. Hmm. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, um, I'm pretty interested to hear what the companies are going to say. Um, so we've had a number of, you know, um, observer perspectives. We did have a Fonterra session yesterday, but I'm pretty keen to hear what UK-based companies think of uh, 
you know, where, where the way forward and how they're how they're dealing with things. That that for me is t- today's highlight. Yeah. yeah, that was quite interesting, wasn't it? That that actually the UK there was uh, questions about whether or not there would be more inward investment in the UK, and uh, you know, actually, is the UK a place to be in terms of uh, it wasn't going to turn into a euphoria in terms of the UK producing loads and loads more milk, but certainly it wasn't as negative about the UK as it was about the US, about the EU. I think I took that. Steve, while we've got you on, uh, let's talk about Australia. I mean, you have already mentioned the supply issues, um, but could you just give us an update on dairy down under in, in terms of milk volumes and, 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 but also critically, I suppose, related to what you've been saying already, um, the mood of farmers at the moment. Um, look, it's quite, it's always mixed. I think those who've got uh, the ability to respond to the conditions and feel optimistic about, um, you know, the, the margins that they can achieve, um, I think there's probably several worlds down there in terms of that, that environment. Sentiment is, sentiment is certainly um, uh, weaker in terms of the, the challenges on farm. So staffing and, and the like, um, that farmers face. I, th- I think there's a lot of those physical physical issues in their face that are that are causing sentiment to be knocked around. Um, the um, processor mood um, is is quite mixed. I mean, they've got they got milk prices next season milk price going up again, so there'll be a record number. Uh, intense competition for milk because you know it's falling four to five percent at the moment year on year. Um, the market's growing. The the export pull from Australia. I mean, they've improved, increased their milk powder exports significantly in the last year because of the opportunity from that stream return. Um, so that's, you know, processes are struggling with slow pull through from retail because the retailers are trying to, you know, we don't want to put up prices, very familiar with what's going on here. Um, the um, the challenges of staffing, the challenges of, you know, getting that milk, I think if if we if we looked at what the processes expect to collect this year, and we do, we do a bit of a survey of this, um, that would exceed the available milk by a couple of billion uh, litres. So, you know, they're, they're optimistic. So it'll drive up. We're about to enter a round of negotiations on contracts. Uh, they all get revealed at the end of this month. And then we have this almighty period when prices start to move because everyone sees what each other's paying uh, and they bid up. Um, so we'll end up close to a $9 per kilo milk solids price, uh, which is just... You know, mind-boggling that uh, we get we get that far up um, as the market's showing some signs of fluttering, and you know, background fundamentals are still good. But uh, I think I think prices are very nervous, um, but uh, they've still got a bid for milk. So it's a really interesting, you know, mm. mixed bag. Mm. And, and, and I was mean, talking of trade generally. Yeah. The uh, obviously the the Australia UK free trade agreement was signed virtually um, end of last year, seventeenth of December. Um, We've had a bit of time pass since then. What's the view from Australian dairy perspective on, on that deal? Um, yeah, um, not much. <laughs> <laughs> um, this faraway land, which which itself produces pretty damn good cheese, um, well we can't export. But, sorry, I mean, well done, Steve. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it does. We had a nice we had a nice arrangement of that last night, and um, I've always been a fan of uh, of British cheese, so uh, that's you're not going to get a problem for me. But we we have we struggle to um, meet our own requirements. Australia's got a butterfat shortage, so we won't be coming here with, um, with you know uh, bulk butter or anything like that. 
Um, we are already an open we are already an open market for cheese and broad dairy products. Um, so maybe it improves a variety, but that it doesn't really change on the supply side from from Australia's point of view. Mm. Um, there'd be some niche players who try to get product or get product into the UK, but um, it's small beer from what you know we'd expect. Um, so not much change. I mean, it's I, I look. I think it's it's for other reasons. It's very political. Uh, it's a political opportunism for both leaders to sign that sort of deal at the time, yeah. um, but it doesn't have much meaning for dairy. Just talking about those rising prices in Australia, sobering number, and you can confirm this, Steve, I think, because it was in your publication, US dairy prices are in the range of the equivalent of 45 to 46 pence, but those dairy farmers in the States are not making much more milk. That's a staggering number, isn't it? I think farmers back in the UK need to hear that because... Yeah, and I think that just shows the state of the world that we're in at present. Mm. Uh, that this, you know, so that GDT cut that we started talking about at the start, we do have to put it in perspective uh, against this world where everything seems to be struggling to get the starter engine going on the supply side. Mm. Yeah, I've got a perspective on, you know, we've got, we've got different worlds at the moment. I mean, our analysis <clears throat> shows, and when we look at the fundamentals going forward, we've kind of got a bit of a a fraying of, of where the fundamentals are. You know, Europe is tight. Uh, the US has gone sideways and they've got various issues while their demand is probably going to be under attack from you know, consumers having less money or households being under pressure with uh, with inflation. But they're probably going sideways. They're not, the fundamentals aren't too bad. They're not growing their milk either, but their demand's weakening. And in Oceania, we've got this you know, temporary oversupply. China going to pull back on buying. We've got some yeah. pretty weak demand regions, so so that's going to that's going to ease off a bit until it finds a new platform. When China comes back after lockdowns, yeah, and the government throws a lot of money at that economy to get it firing again. Look out! I mean, we think there's a bit of a you know a bounce back like they did in '21 when they emerged from and you know lockdown and had those sorts of stimulus through there. So you know that could all change, but I think in the short term we're seeing a bit of a divergence. Yeah, and, and just when you talked about China there, there was a good paper on China, and I don't know what your thoughts were, Steve, but I thought that le- the level of optimism about what China was going to do to make more of its own milk I, doesn't square with what I've seen in China. The, the, the Chinese cannot make more milk without importing loads more uh, feeds. And it makes that milk that they make in China very, very expensive if they're going to try and make it in China. Is that what your view would be, Steve? Yeah, yeah I think with the margin, the milk margin over feed costs at the moment is the lowest it's been in, in a decade in China and yeah. not, getting, not getting better. Yeah, and China's milk price is over 60p a litre. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, wow. you, know you, just, you just can't make this. And the Chinese are paying that. And, yeah. then, they're, and then they're saying, oh, they want to produce more. So I, 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 yeah, very, very interesting times we're in. Yeah, yeah. Just, just taking that global out, we've obviously been talking about the GDT. Let's uh, let's talk about the GDD um, as well. Uh, Steve, can you tell us more about global dairy directions, um, sure. the program, how it works and, mm-hmm. and how it's used by clients? I must say I've, I had a bit of a browse of some of your, uh, your YouTube updates as well. Uh, particularly enjoyed your 2021 bloopers film just saying that that's very very good (laughs) um look thanks for that thanks for the opportunity to talk about this uh so global dairy directions is a platform we built um 
probably built it about seven years ago, which we add up the world market, we add up the full supply chain uh, from production through to end market. So in that, you've got all the production data, you've got product mix, you know, milk manufactured into different streams and trade and domestic use. Um, so it's a very, you know, it's a comprehensive uh, package which lets us therefore navigate, you know, what's happening in the world, what matters. But we primarily use it to look forward. So we make assumptions off that platform as to what we'd expect to see in the fundamentals going forward. Um, and it's a dynamic process. It, it, it's updated each month and it rolls, right? So as you get data coming in and, and that's it's a continuous process, uh, you've got, a, you got a, a moving view of where the fundamentals of the market in US, EU, Oceania are tracking um, and kind of in real time. Uh, so clients use it for risk management primarily, budgeting. I've uh, got a whole variety of uses uh, that you know, depending on their resources and what they're doing, it from big producers, so two biggest European co-ops use it extensively, um, through to traders, through to big FMCGs. Um, so the large food groups, you know, a number of those have got this embedded as, as a process. So it's um, yeah, it's a look, it's a comprehensive process. The, the full toad odds are not for everybody, but we, you know, out of that we pull analysis and the sorts of things I talked about yesterday is what we're doing on a continuous basis. So it's a yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for telling us about it. Uh, John, let's just bring this back to the DIN conference. You'll be running off in a bit to, to chair your session. Um, with, there are, of course, speakers all over the world, and even today we, we've been covering uh, news from all over the world. Um, in the discussions you've been having, are you finding that the challenges and opportunities presented by delegates from different parts of the globe are, are similar, or, or do they differ in any way, and, and if so, where? No, I, I, <coughs> I would have said one of the things you've learnt over the last 20 years is that basically so many issues are so similar around the world, whether it's labour, whether it's climate change, whether it's changing markets, whether it's consumer tastes. So there's, and also prices have come together a lot more. You know, we would never have seen this 20, 20 odd years ago, where you'd have had a very different milk price in the New Zealand compared to the US compared to Europe. Whereas now, basically, we've all come together very closely. We're in a world market for dairy. That's what we were talking about last week. You know, there is no place in the world where you can find big differences. I think that that's, that's what I take out of that. I would I would tend to agree with that. The other thing I would add on that, John, is it doesn't matter where in the world that you go. It doesn't matter where in the world that you go and what the milk price is wherever you go. The farmers still aren't happy. (laughs) The milk price still isn't high enough. (laughs) Unless you can tell me different, Steve. Maybe they are happy in Australia. Uh, that's an endless missionary crusade. Uh, <laughs> farmer in me wants to defend farmers. They're not unhappy at the moment. They're unsettled. There's a difference. Okay. I think. I think the look. I think the a lot of the issues are to do with just physical constraints that that are in the way for them yeah. to do better. They appreciate milk prices are flowing down to them. They, you know, they recognise they've got big costs in their way and, and trying to deal with that. A lot of the sentiment is about the fact they've simply got physical barriers that, that make it really hard, whether it's, you know, not enough fertiliser, staffing and, and, you know, tankers and all that sort of stuff, all, all these logistical issues which are, which are you know, feeling right down, being felt right down to them. That's, um, it's the frustration, I think, that's 
part of it. It's just, uh, you know, getting in their face. So, I, I'm going to give Becky a plug here. Becky, you've got a bunch of happy farmers, haven't you? <laughs> they're the R500 farmers, aren't they? You know, uh, yes, yeah, they're resilient. Nicely done. And we've got some nice, good farmers in some of the other groups we work with. I can find you plenty of positive farmers. But I tell you one thing that's going to happen this year, and we've touched on it time and time again, but I'm going to keep on emphasising it for our listener. There's going to be a massive difference in terms of profitability on farms this year. Those who get it right will make some serious money. Those who mess up and don't get it right and don't get it right, don't fix forward, cut back, end up using, I mean, less forage in the silage pits and all the rest of it. They will pay a heavy price this year. And that's my fear is that, well, it's just going to, we go through a major change as ever, but you're going to expose some weak businesses by the end of this year, I reckon. Mm. Big big time for opportunities. Go on. Sorry, Becky. I was just going to say, it's exactly the conversation that we had last week at a team mm. meeting. You know, we were thrashing this out. And yeah. actually, when you go back to fundamentals, when you yeah. do the business planning, when you do the numbers, yeah. the outlook, you know, th- those numbers give you confidence to do the right things yeah. for your business. The, the the difference between good decisions and bad decisions will be making them based on, It'll. you know, on the numbers. And and ultimately, you know, the the summary conversation that we had was that this year yeah. will be all about how you manage risk in your in, in individual businesses yeah yeah so be positive and get in a resilient group with some positive farmers around you who actually give you good advice and you can talk around it i think that's my my, my message and chris always says mix with people who are positive and then you get i get things right yeah i think that's a good place to leave it um that's all we have time for got to, got to let you uh, go and get yeah ready, better go ready for chairing the conference john but uh, a very big thank you to our guests steve spencer john allen chris walkland and podcast producer becky leach yes thank you very much for listening we'll see you next week when we'll be joined by a very special and important guest not that all our guests aren't special just dig the hole there <laughs> <laughs> um, it's goodbye from all of us. Here. You've just lost your smoothest man in podcast <laughs> entitled there. Yeah. What the hell and lost. There? I was thinking adding in then, not quite as important as Steve Spencer, but then I thought then I'm digging the hole for next week.